Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essay speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. We would also like to inform you of an upcoming Sexaholics Anonymous Internet Marathon. Around the World in 24 Hours will take place starting at noon Universal Time on November 29th and will end promptly at noon Universal Time on November the 30th. It's free to register online at www.sim.sexaholicsanonymous.eu. Thank you very much, and without further ado, welcome to The Daily Reprieve. Greetings. This is Amjad, a hopeless sexaholic, uh, miraculously sober since February 16th of 2015. And we're continuing on our white book study on page three of the white book, What is a Sexaholic and What is Sexual Sobriety? We can only speak for ourselves. The specialized nature of Sexaholics Anonymous can best be understood in terms of what we call the sexaholic. The sexaholic has taken himself or herself out of the whole context of what is right or wrong. He or she has lost control, no longer has the power of choice, and is not free to stop. Lust has become an addiction. Our situation is like that of the alcoholic who can no longer tolerate alcohol and must stop drinking altogether, but is hooked and cannot stop. So it, so it is with the sexaholic or sex drunk, who can no longer tolerate lust, but cannot stop. So this first paragraph, there's a few things that really jump out for me. One, uh, you know, it, this is where it really introduces the term sexaholic. And uh, it's interesting that it doesn't start right after that with, you know, what we call the sexaholic, a person who's addicted to sex. Uh, instead, what it says is that, this is a person who has taken him or herself out of the whole context of what is right and wrong. So in other words, uh, as a sexaholic, I don't, I don't really have a choice of right or wrong anymore. I have lost control and it's not like, oh, well, this is the wrong thing to do or this is the right thing to do. It's like as if those things don't even mean anything to me. I just can't stop. I can't stop doing the things I, that I don't want to do. And uh, so it's talking about the actions there in the beginning and saying that I've lost all control and it doesn't matter how right or wrong, there's not a moral decision here for me. And then it this is where it introduces lust again and it says lust has become the addiction. So it doesn't even talk about the physical act of sex or masturbation or any physical activity here. What it's talking about is that I'm addicted to lust. That's what makes me a sexaholic. So another way, uh, I know there's uh, guys in my my group who refer to themselves as lustaholics. Uh, so the situation is like an alcoholic. And so this is where it draws the correlation back to the big book. And it tells me that just like in the big book, the doctor's opinion that, uh, that you know, I'm a hopeless variety drunk applies here for me, the sexaholic. And so it says, so it is with a sexaholic or sex drunk. I can't tolerate it. I have an allergy to it, but I cannot stop. 
And then continuing with the reading, thus for the sexaholic, any form of sex with oneself or with partners other than the spouse is progressively addictive and destructive. So what it's telling me here is that if I act out on that sex, if I feed that lust with acti- with action by having sex with, with either myself in the form of masturbation or pornography where I'm spending hours by myself in a room staring at sexual images uh, as another version of sex with myself uh, or with a partner other than a spouse, uh, then that becomes progressively addictive and destructive. And um, for those who haven't been around for a long time in the program, uh, I know there's there's some a lot of discussion around this topic of other than a spouse. Uh, and to avoid dissension or distraction, I'm not going to uh, go into any of that. And I'm going to focus on the things that are helpful to me. And so what is helpful to me here is that it's talking about how this disease is progressively addictive and destructive. And, um, you know, that really kind of came to light when I was, I was talking to Harvey A out of Nashville a few weeks ago. And, uh, I was telling him that, you know, with three years sobriety, I'm surprised that on some days, I get these very graphic lust images that just like knock the wind out of me. And I'm, I'm really shocked that I'm having these moments. And he said, this is a progressive disease that while I may be sober, my degree, my disease is continuing to grow from where I left off. So it's not like my disease is withering and dying in the background. I, my, my sexaholism is growing. It's progressively addictive and destructive. Uh, so just the fact that I'm sober means that I'm, I'm staying away from it, but it doesn't mean that the disease is going away. So continuing, we also see that lust is the driving force behind our sexual acting out. That sentence right there blew my mind when I first read it, that that, you know, it's introducing this concept of lust as being the driving force, the root cause, the, you know, uh, like my wife was telling me the other day, she said, it's like, you know, if there's a tree that's giving bad fruit and you just keep pulling the, the fruit off of it and throwing it away, it doesn't solve the problem. And we were talking about something else, but that really, it kind of reminded me of the disease that, you know, if all I focus on is my sexual acting out, which is the fruit of my tree, and I'm not looking at the roots of that tree, which is my lust. And the stronger those roots get, the bigger the tree gets. So whether or not you see any fruit growing on it doesn't mean that the tree's not getting bigger. Uh, for me, that tree is constantly growing. Uh, and what keeps it from, uh, from, from growing, giving fruit is when I turn to my higher power rather than pouring, uh, giving it nut- nutrition so that it can give fruit. And true sobriety includes progressive victory over lust. And that, uh, to me, really came to light when I had, there's an old timer in the program, uh, who, you know, I was talking to who, who in the last year, year and a half, reset his sobriety date. And so I asked him about that. I said, you know, what, what happened? And he was explaining to me that he had this, um, you know, he got sober long before the internet and smartphones and all this stuff. Uh, been sober for many, a few, a few decades. And, uh, he, you know, started following a story 
that uh, was very kind of lustful in its nature. And he kept finding himself going back to read more about this story. And he felt like that was not progressive victory over lust. And so he decided to reset his sobriety uh, because he just felt like so true sobriety includes progressive victory over lust. So this to me is really helpful because what it, what it tells me is that, you know, every day I have the opportunity for the next 24 hours to look at my lust and say, am I, is there, is God showing me progressive victory here over the lust or am I exactly where I were, was yesterday? Is my lust at the same level? And if it's at the same level, maybe I'm not growing in my spiritual growth and spiritual experience and my relationship with my higher power. So that's something for me to really aspire for and ask my higher power for is to show me that true sobriety and that true growth and, uh, and not really focus on, uh, just the acting out. Now, you know, I'll give you one more example on that, which is for me, uh, you know, after about, you know, I've shared that I had almost six years of sobriety and I got to a point where I was looking at all kinds of images of nudity and I was calling myself sober because, uh, because I had not touched myself, uh, in any way. And so I said, well, technically I haven't had sex with myself, so I'm sober. Uh, but what happened was that instead of progressive victory over lust, I was progressively losing the battle over lust. Till one day I'm sitting there looking at hardcore pornography, uh, and, and I'm deluding myself and lying to myself and saying that I'm still sober because I haven't touched myself. Uh, and it, this was just a, it was a, a lie that I kept telling myself. And in the meantime, my whole world was falling apart. Uh, at work, in the family, I mean, just everything. I was restless, irritable, and discontented. And like my sponsor tells me, you know, it's really the goal here is happy, joyous, and free. So if I'm not happy, joyous, and free, then maybe I'm I'm not really truly getting the true benefit of of sobriety. So it, it and it says here exactly what my experience is that these conclusions were forced upon us in the crucible of our experiences and recovery. We have no other options, but we have found that acceptance of these facts is the key to a happy and joyous freedom we could otherwise never know. So this conclusion, this description for me of the progressive victory over lust, uh, is it was forced upon me through the struggle and the difficulty of my experiences uh, to where now I believe I have no other option, that I need progressive victory over lust if I am ever going to have an opportunity to, have, to be happy and joyous, have a happy and joyous freedom that I could otherwise never know. This will and should discourage many inquirers who admit to sexual obsession or compulsion, but who simply want to control and enjoy it. Uh, much as alcohol would like to control and enjoy drinking. Uh, for me, this, uh, actually, I just had this delusion a couple of days ago where I started thinking like, well, maybe it's okay for me as I'm, you know, going throughout the day to just spend an extra minute admiring God's creation and looking at some of the beautiful women that are around. And immediately this sentence came to my mind of, you know, that, that here I am trying to control 
and enjoy something that is progressively addictive and destructive and that it's going to destroy me. And so if I'm spending that extra minute, uh, like really admiring God's creation, is that progressive victory over lust? And so that, that opened the door for me to surrender it to God and, and let it go, uh, rather than, than in, entertain that thought any longer. So until we had been driven to the point of despair, until we really wanted to stop but could not, we did not give ourselves to this program of recovery. Uh, and here it's, it's talking about the pro, the 12 step program as, as outlined in the big book, which is extremely important. I can't work the 12 steps just with the white book. Uh, I heard that there were some fellowships, uh, that it, that didn't touch the big book. So how, what, how they were doing the 12 steps, I'm not sure. Uh, because this very clearly tells me, uh, there's multiple references in the white book that, that point back to the big book and tell me that is where I need to go to the Alcoholics Anonymous literature to get the program to see the 12 steps in action. Uh, but if I really wanted to do that, I had to be pushed to the point of despair and, until I really wanted to stop and could not. That it was not until then that I was ready to completely give myself to this program. Sexaholics Anonymous is for those who know they have no other option but to stop, and their own enlightened self-interest must tell them this. And I love that, those three words, enlightened self-interest. It really helps keep me, protect me from the God complex that I, that I can so easily have when working with others, because I want to fix you. I want to tell you what you need to do so you can be better. And I'm running around trying to fix everybody, but really it's your own enlightened self-interest that's going to tell you whether or not this program is for you. And as I mentioned earlier, I mean, we can debate the definition, the sobriety definition. Uh, we can debate a lot of things, but the question is, is this program for me? Only my own enlightened self-interest can tell me this. There's nothing else out there that can tell me whether or not this program is for me. So just to finish this section out, I'll read what is Sexaholics Anonymous. So Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help, help others to recover. And this reminds me of the portion in the big book where it talks about that the program is happening every day throughout the world when one alcoholic talks to another alcoholic and shares their experience, strength, and hope. And this is a reference to that, uh, so that we may solve our common problem. Like the survivors of a shipwreck bound together, uh, from a disaster that we've, uh, been saved from. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. So here it doesn't tell me the only requirement for membership is for me to stop masturbating and, or having sex with others uh, or going to a massage parlor. Or, you know, it says my only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. So there's two parts to that requirement for me, which is, I, one, I have to stop lusting, like entertaining and feeding my lust uh, it, you know, for me, the analogy that often comes to mind is lust to me is like a, it's a flame inside of me. And when I feed it, it's like I'm pouring petrol or gasoline on it and it, the flame just gets bigger and bigger. And, and my insanity, I'm pouring this on there 
hoping that I'll somehow put the fire out, thinking it's water, but in reality, all I'm doing is feeding it, and it gets bigger and bigger. And it's like it describes in the problem, it says that, you know, when I was, when I'm in my disease, the only way I know how to stop it is to act it out. Uh, but he, when I come into this program, the, my membership is based on a simple desire to stop that, to stop lusting and to become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership, reference to the seventh, uh, and we are self-supporting through our own contributions. Uh, so there's a reference to this uh, seventh tradition. Sexaholics Anonymous is not allied with any sect denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help other sexaholics to achieve sobriety. So for me, that, that section is, is in large part a recap of the traditions. And that last part which says our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help other sexaholics uh, for me, I believe that my, you know, uh, sort of take on the primary purpose, and we've talked about this in the big book study, is to be of maximum, to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and others. And, uh, in order to do that, in a lot of ways, I believe that my higher power would like for me to stay sexually sober so that I can help other sexaholics whose own enlightened self-interest has told them that they would like to stop lusting and become sexually sober. So that gives me the opportunity to be of maximum service. Thanks for letting me share.